Welcome everyone to the 57th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. The big 57. I'm Dan Kozell here with Nick Tartaglia. What's up, Don? Hey, man. I mean, our guest, our guest, we're supposed to wait for our guests to kind of just chime in here, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wait, we'll give it, we'll give them a couple of like two minutes just to kind of mentally prepare, uh, for what we're going to be talking about here, but, um, the metaverse and crypto yeah. at the headlines of everything in the last like three months, I think it really started with NFT started to come into play back mm -hmm. in February, early January or late January. Um, but this is a sector, this is a place that needs to be paid attention to because this is where future growth is heading. Right, Nick? Yeah, I'm, I'm much more intrigued by this sector because of the fact that when you come, when I look at most from an observational standpoint, when I look at most of the crypto ecosystem, the NFT is probably the one place where I'm noticing there's a lot more activity in the sense of buying and selling, buying and selling, which is a type of behavior I want to see when it comes to, you know, crypto movement because of the fact that everybody there's this whole debate between asset classes and currencies but the thing is very few places we look at it is there actual transactions going on and nft is an ecosystem where there's a lot of transactions so it's very it's it's uh, from a currency standpoint you can learn a lot by observing that ecosystem so it's you know so for me especially it's very intriguing to watch this stuff play out so I know that we've been talking more about like resources, precious metals, all that good stuff. But I mean, we've obviously been following the crypto space really closely. Mm. Um, we were very thrilled to have uh, somebody who has been at the forefront of this entire movement. And I would literally mean the forefront. Um, we're going to jump right into him right now. Uh, he's out of Montreal, but he's in uh, beautiful Florida today. Um, Lucky man. He is he is the COO and the and the founder, the co-founder of Global Digital Assets or GDA Capital, uh, as well as the COO of Secure Digital Markets, which is a leading global digital asset brokerage. Um, and through his time at both GDA and SDM, he's worked with some of the leading global institutions. These include family offices, governments, exchanges, uh, Fortune 500 companies alike. He's also facilitated firsthand over $2 billion of digital transactions. And prior to making the, the jump into blockchain, um, this guy, this gentleman, has scaled ventures in both the consumer tech and pharmaceutical industries uh, with the notable exit to WeWork in 2015. And he's obviously got a very hungry entrepreneurial spirit. Um, proud to say he's from Montreal. Uh, welcome to the New Gen Mindset Podcast, Zach Friedman. Thank you for the kind introduction, Dan. Appreciate it, and uh, and great to be here, Dan and Nick. Yeah, man. Look, um, the the number one thing that we always like to ask our guests is, why did you do this? Why did you get into crypto? But I think you got to start back in 2013 uh, when you and I first met. Um, I kind of just saw you, and I'm like, this guy's an entrepreneur. There's no question about that. Where did you get that hunger? And then like walk us through sort of your path uh, to where you're at today. Yeah, I, um, you know, great point. I think that entrepreneurship is something that has always just been like intrinsically inside me. Uh, from a young age, I was trying, you know, I, I always just saw opportunity to, um, you know, buy and sell in different marketplaces. I was doing stuff with shoes, with clothes. Um, you know, I saw opportunities with social media when it first like came to market uh, to advise companies. Um, you know, for me, it's like, you know, when I was in school, like on the traditional education pathway, you know, I was always kind of bored. And I, I found that the education, uh, traditional education was just, you know, too slow. I, I loved applicable learning. 
um, be it through like case studies or real experience. And, and that's just really where I was able to draw parallels. And I find like challenge myself. And, um, you know, I, I think that inherently I always wanted to create my own business. It was like something that, um, you know, I have, I have entrepreneurship within my family. Uh, my mother was entrepreneurial. Uh, my grandfather was very entrepreneurial as well. And that's something that was definitely prevalent, um, you know, at the table growing up as well. And so leading up to sort of the blockchain revolution, I think this really started in like 2017, like when Bitcoin had that first sort of halving event. Um, For those that are not familiar, Bitcoin halves every 240,000 blocks. Um, That's obviously getting tighter and tighter. But I think that was when things kind of started, you know, materializing for you. Um, walk us through sort of how GDA became a real thing and you're kind of at the forefront of this metaverse right now. Awesome. So, you know, I, I first got exposed to digital assets for the first time in like 2012. Um, you know, I'd heard about it in some applications primarily through like, you know, just, just Silk Road and dark web and like, you know, conversation at the table, um, didn't really mean anything to me back then. You know, I, it, re-exposed itself to me a few years later when I'd been like, Hey, this industry has actually come, you know, quite a long way. There's actual infrastructure. Um, I decided to, you know, I, at the time I had some time on my hands, like 2015, 2016, um, the company that I was working with, uh, Islands was, you know, I, again, kind of in its like exit path, um, that you mentioned. And, you know, I was just like trying to figure out what was next. I wasn't in school at the time because I dropped out to kind of pursue that. Uh, and I, do, I read the, the Bitcoin white paper. I kind of dove down the, the proverbial rabbit hole, um, but I didn't necessarily like know what it meant, like what it meant to the world. I think that, you know, I tried to poke around. I spoke to friends and family. And I, although I had some conviction, I like doubted it a little bit because a lot of thought leaders that I followed, that I respected kind of like dismissed the technology, dismissed the application, um, turned it away. And you know, like most kind of, you know, I, I, based on that, like intellectual curiosity, I guess I started to poke around the ecosystem. Um, organically, I got into trading. I wasn't necessarily a trader coming from a financial background. I was more like a, you know, entrepreneur style, like, you know, non-technical founder. I was more interested in like marketing and growth, but, um, and consumer behavior. And yeah, I, I guess that, that, that really evolved, uh, on the trading side. I saw a lot of opportunity, um, and when things started to come into the mainstream and, and obviously that, that 2016, 2017, when, when crypto started to really grow um, was when I began to take things seriously. And I, I'd actually already consciously decided before the, that big run up that, you know, digital assets was the sector I wanted to focus in. Um, I guess that, so, so like in that like 2016 uh, 2015, 2016 timeline, I, I had applied to some good companies and jobs. And, um, you know, I, I got offers at some, some pretty awesome VC firms. I remember I got an offer at uh, Facebook in San Francisco, like pretty awesome jobs as a 21 year old without a degree, you know, one would find enticing. And those were the companies I would have worked at. But um, there was something that was like holding me back from pulling the trigger and saying yes. And that was digital assets, whereby I'm like, Again, it's it's this weird feeling because it was something that was so intriguing that was at the intersection of finance and technology. I was like, this makes so much sense to me, but um, I, I guess it was inexperience and like immaturity. I was I was young at the time that I was like, 
I, I just, I couldn't grasp why this wasn't already more popular or, you know, more mainstream. Um, there's a number of factors I think, and that has to do with like actual infrastructure and, you know, adoption and just like, uh, education There's a number of reasons I could go into that, but yeah, um, it was kind of like the, the approach and ended up kind of diving head first saying, I want to start a company in this space. I think that it's, you know, worth, uh, worth pursuing a venture, um, and just kind of led me organically, uh, from trading into the growth of my brokerage, which was my first business in the space. I like the fact that you brought up, it was like, you know, you saw the opportunity, the infrastructure is obviously still being built. I mean, that's what you guys are doing at GDA, mm -hmm. which is very fascinating. Um, but there was also, I feel like sort of that psychological, uh, I don't want to call it a roadblock, but it's always like that psychological jump that everybody needs to make, like, and it deals with fear, right? So what made you get over that hump? Like what made you say, you know, screw this. I'm not going to, I'm going to go in this thing fearless. Uh, and we're going to build something massive. So I, I kind of believe that, um, in like a risk mitigation mindset. So um, you know, I thought that the risk of not pursuing what my gut was telling me was much higher than if I were to kind of turn away and listen to other people. Um, and, you know, when I dive into something, I believe in, in really giving it your all and diving in head first, especially if there's that conviction. Because like, I, I consider myself irrationally passionate, I guess is, is a good way to put it. So, um, you know, in the context of like school and education or, or like a corporate job, if I'm not passionate about it, I can't even work a nine to five. I can't spend more than 10 minutes at the table because it's not something I have conviction or belief in. Um, digital assets is on the opposite end of the spectrum where I'm like, you know, I like, this is something I'm passionate about. I, I want to see it thrive. And, you know, I kind of just started to dive in head first. Like I, you know, for in the scale of a few months, I'd like incorporated, invested every dollar I had into kind of putting the business together. And, and the thesis at the time was actually simple to that infrastructure point. I was like, where is there the most development requirement in the digital asset space? It was like the infrastructure. Um, if there's no, and, and I, you know, opportunistically, I saw an opportunity to, to like create that, those on and off ramps into the space where um, I had difficulty even with, you know, $50,000 in investing in the space and Kraken had banking in Japan at the time. I wanted to make an investment. And I was like, why am I wiring money to Japan for this like website exchange that I want to buy crypto on today? And, um, you know, a, a thesis I like to go back to is I was like, if I can help build the on and off ramps, then capital can flow. Um, if capital can flow, then naturally and kind of ecosystem development, talent follows capital. When talent comes, that creates kind of development, which leads to innovation. Uh, you bring in the right minds to create the, you know, second and tertiary layers. Um, and that kind of development and innovation leads to adoption. And, um, you know, that, that mainstream adoption was what I had already consciously decided, like, I wanted to help facilitate. What's, what's the first, what, how did you dip your toes into the ecosystem? Like, what did you buy first? Or like, how did you really get involved? What was the first transaction you did? just to give context to your entry into this ecosystem. Sure. Yeah. I think Bitcoin is, as I would advise also most people uh, when first getting into the space, it's, you know, was at, now there's some interesting dynamics when you guys spoke about web three and NFTs where people are entering the space without exposure uh, to Bitcoin, but, but we can definitely get into that and how it affects the market um, and kind of like the bull case a little bit in my mind. But uh, Bitcoin was asset number one. 
Um, I actually bought my first Bitcoin kind of over the counter from, you know, a friend set up a wallet infrastructure. Uh, but I, I tinkered, like I, I opened accounts at different exchanges um, that had fiat on ramps and off ramps. Uh, you know, I was using Quadriga, Kraken, Coinbase, like various different ones. And each of them had their limitations. Like Coinbase, you couldn't sell out and take money out as a Canadian. So that's what led me to Quadriga. Um, and Quadriga then I had the lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, I lost, uh, I lost a lot of money on Quadriga for sure. Um, I'm, I'm definitely uh, part of that class action and you're not um, alone. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but, but what it did lead me to actually was arbitrage. So in opening these different exchanges, I saw a lot of price variance. And uh, one of the first ways I made money in the digital asset space was through like clipping that arbitrage, um, you know, where I was able to purchase Bitcoin, move it over, sell it at like, you know, a uh, pretty consistent rate of return. Um, you know, I was doing like one, two, three percent on some, like per day, I guess, on a few transactions, or it was uh, only limited by, I guess, the time to transfer Bitcoin. And that was really how I, like, you know, made my first um, sum Eventually. of wealth in the space. Yeah, it was uh, it was cool. I find it interesting that you focus on infrastructure because since the beginning, when, I, when we were talking with Dan and everything, I always said that. For me, my primary focus is the application component of it. And infrastructure is critical because our infrastructure, like you said, you, it's very hard for adoption, especially big money. They don't want things to be complicated because then it, makes, and then it, it creates too much risk for the capital. So mm-hmm. the, the, the more you simplify things, the more infrastructure there is, uh, the more they can understand how their money is going to flow with simplicity, the more likely you are to see people at the top to start entering it. So uh, it's very intriguing for me to get to have, to have this conversation with you and everything. So can you just go down, like explain the operation component of your, 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 op- like your business and what it is your purpose is as an operation? Definitely. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you know, I, I think the, for, for a number of years, my focus was really on that brokerage. Now the scope has expanded uh, pretty tremendously. We have like five or six subsidiaries, but that brokerage, which was, you know, my core focus from 2017 until 2019 um, is like, so, so it first started off as like over the counter trading. So I'd look to just buy pair buyers and sellers. Um, inevitably the way that scaled up was being able to be our own liquidity provider to support, you know, clients, institutions, miners, like around the clock. So we were able to basically bridge the gap by connecting to like you know, all of the different liquidity points, including dark pools being like, you know, pools of off-market Bitcoin, um, ended up building a technology layer with some partners to kind of route through those orders, uh, which is traditional like FX or legacy infrastructure, the way they do it in, in other markets, right? I, I didn't like rewrite the playbook. There was new players and new banks um, and new infrastructure providers. And, you know, I, I didn't actually... I, I was right, like I was figuring it out as I was learning from, you know, what, what was being done in legacy institutions, but um, basically became like an aggregator. So, so queue in like 10 different liquidity points from the world's largest suppliers um, of digital assets. Each one has a different strength. Some is liquidity on Bitcoin, some is stable coins, some is Ethereum, different markets that they trade in Asia versus North America, different times of the day um, and building that like central router to kind of, uh, aggregate and, and push through best pricing. So um, everything we built was basically a client comes to us, they get, um, you know, the best market pricing they can get, uh, you know, for executing a large block. And then we supplemented that with the creation of banking infrastructure globally, uh, settlement and clearing facilities, uh, credit facilities, um, you know, secure custodial infrastructure, 
basically working with the industry's best, making sure we were, you know, insured and, and above board and able to kind of like navigate the process. So, uh, you know, if Dino wanted to buy a million dollars of Bitcoin, he called me up um, in like a smooth, simple, easy, secured process. He's able to wire us money, receive Bitcoin uh, in as quick a turnaround as possible, you know, a couple hours at most, um, typically the same day. Minus the the time for the bank to actually send the money, which is the slowest part, mm-hmm. um, and and you know get get that liquidity really because because that like liquidity is the lifeblood of of any industry. It's uh, it's really interesting too because um, that's sort of the problem that digital assets are trying to solve, which is essentially the ease of transactions. I think we're, you know, I, I've worked at a bank. I'm sure there's a few people on your team who've obviously come from banking to set up the infrastructure and stuff like that. And the biggest challenge that I've seen is just, you know, the smoothness of a transaction and the fact that I have to spend, you know, $40 to wire, I don't know, a hundred thousand to a business. Uh, and that's going to take two to three business days is absurd. Now everything mm-hmm. happens instantaneously. So, you know, when you're talking to sort of new uh, clients, or maybe you're talking to new uh, people who are fascinated about the crypto space, like what's one of those one things that they're like coming to you and just saying, and and you're kind of just uncovering as you're having these discussions with them, like what are they telling you, and what do they see going forward with you guys? Yeah, um, good question. I think you know, first of all, it, it is like that access and liquidity, and like having reliable partners. So. Um, you know, we, we work with like pretty much all the, all of the cohorts from family offices to minors, to B, BTMs, to businesses, um, looking for like these safe, reliable solutions. And, uh, you know, I, I think their, their theses are, thesi are different, I guess, uh, when they come to us and that's, you know, some of them are looking at it as a hedge against inflation. Um, others are looking at it as a speculative investment. Um, some are looking at, you know, to dip their toes, you know, others need it as a method of transaction. They want to increase their kind of ability to different currencies from the client base. Um, and, you know, they're able to do that kind of seamlessly using uh, a service like ours. Going into next year, um, I think NFTs have obviously been, you know, insane. Um, you know, you could have bought an NFT for like 200 bucks, flipped it now for about a hundred grand. Um, to me, that signals a little bit of a speculative bubble, but at the same time, I do see where the value is coming from. Uh, especially with, you know, people, our generation who don't necessarily, uh, want to own physical assets. They want to own digital assets. So talk about sort of what the NFT space has done for you and what, what's, what's the opportunity there for, for newbies in the space. Yeah, I, I think it brings in a totally different cohort. Um, you know, the, the speculation aside, I think the you know the the big increase is just categoric of any like new market segment that sees a little bit of a bubble, right? Like the way that the digital asset, um, you know, you're talking about a tr- a three trillion dollar market cap, give or take, you know, on on one of these days, um, the the digital asset gains kind of like cycle um, appropriately. Like right now we're seeing a bit of a cycle into metaverse related assets from the NFT space. Um, So, you know, those like kind of blow off tops are just kind of a signal of of a lot of that capital and the way it's flowing and and moving, but also of of new entrants coming into the space, right? You have that arts and culture intersection, uh, Mm -hmm. the GameFi, like play to earn projects where you have massive demographics that are already um, like the, 
the leap for them to come into something like NFTs and understand it is is a lot less like fundamentally is is a lot um, easier to comprehend, right? It's the way that people look, perceive social value. Uh, the reason that like a blue check on Instagram is so value valuable. The reason that like people kind of tailor their digital lives, the reason people buy in-game purchases. There's all these cohorts that are like, you know, familiar with the functions of, um, you know, value in, in a digital format um, and are now kind of shifting that, uh, you know, through purchase and sales of NFTs belonging to these digital communities. Um, and, and it's funny, it's, it's actually organically, the, the way that a lot of these digital asset communities have developed is one of my original kind of um, reasons why I started them, like worked with the messaging platform. Um, oh, I think we lost them. Yeah. So I think one of the more important things that everyone's trying to figure out right now uh, is the NFT market. Um, many of the NFT art pieces, people are calling them like, you know, these digital JPEGs that people can buy for, you know, 200 bucks uh, 10 months ago, which are now selling for about a hundred grand. To me, that kind of signals a little bit of a speculative bubble, but I think there is obviously value uh, there, particularly with like the protocols with Solana and Ethereum, but like, you know, just having discussions with people in the, in the industry on that specific, you know, topic, like what, what are you hearing and what, what are you seeing and where do you think that's going uh, for the next decade? Definitely. So, you know, I'm, I'm very bullish on the NFT space, um, despite everything the rest of the business had going on between kind of trading advisory, um, you know, and, and the rest of our services, like the, the web three kind of segment was, was really exciting. Um, I think that inherently, as opposed to, you know, cryptocurrencies where you have the financial crowd, people do understand speculative investment. They do understand, you know, starting to more and more currency and, and you know, ha like that, um, like, like the on-ramps um, with Web3 and digital assets, you have these kind of native cohorts that are um, very accustomed and, and used to already like, you know, digital value. Um, the way that people interact with social media today, the way that uh, people interact with gaming, um, it's, you know, a natural jump into kind of the GameFi play to earn and, you know, just like Web3 applications like NFTs. Um, you know, things like the, like the blue check mark on Instagram and it's like attributable value is like a good reason why, um, you know, people just, they, they understand this kind of like um, these use cases, uh, which are, you know, largely community driven today. Uh, it's bringing in a big kind of, um, you know, new market cycle. So when you talk about that, that bubble component of it, um, you have two factors at play. Number one, you have a lot of new market entrants that are coming into the space um, that are, you know, putting money into uh, things that their favorite celebrities or, or friends are endorsing um, through NFTs, they're you know, uh, putting money. And then there's also like the cycling of money from different channels in the digital asset space. So people are moving from altcoins into these projects that are, you know, NFT based, uh, these collectibles, um, you know, kind of using it as a, uh, I guess some of them can be like a store of value for community participation. Um, yeah, kind of all across the board. Um, I wanted to ask you to go to have a little more of a macro perspective of the industry. 
Well, first, the question is, like, what international type of exposure are you seeing? Just so people can start understanding where to look at in terms of seeing where flows coming from on an international scale. And then the second part would be what industries or sectors specifically are you seeing the biggest interest coming from in terms of capital flow entering the space? Got it. So, so it's really in that, like, the, the capital flow is coming from, like, the um, younger demographic primarily. Uh, what we're seeing, you know, primarily North American driven uh, market traffic. Like it is still very early. Yeah, of course, um, of course. Despite the, despite the aforementioned, um, you know, little bit of a bubble we're seeing, which I do believe that a lot of these projects themselves will go to zero. Mm-hmm. The development and the innovation in the space is only going to continue to grow. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, most of the uh, interactions we have with, you know, the, the real world, be it from concert tickets to sporting events to, um, you know, like, like all the way down will be categorized and characterized by the use of NFTs. Um, I think that uh, what we are seeing, and, and actually one of the reasons I initially bought uh, a CryptoPunk was I was looking at a Oh, no. So just to get a little more of a uh, macro perspective of the space, we're specifically related to NFTs. And um, one, well, there's a two parts to this question. One, it's what international exposure are you seeing or in terms of which demographic base are you really starting to see the exposure coming from? And secondly, what sectors of the economy uh, or industries are you seeing really where you're seeing capital inflow coming into that space? Yeah, so uh, capital inflow is really stemming from a, a lot of the like arts, culture, entertainment sectors. Um, there's a ton of capital flowing into these interactive funds. We're seeing, you know, venture capital, you know, to the multi-billions of dollars of investments, um, you know, are, are really being, or of capital is being raised to invest into Web3. Uh, there's a number of funds that are splitting off and, and launching these interactive funds. Um, a lot of this volume is, has been North America centric. Uh, one of the like reasons I actually bought uh, CryptoPunk at first was looking at demographic data um, for some of these NFT platforms. And there was a lot of lagging behind from the Asian and Indian cohorts, which I think are, you know, traditionally uh, and, and, you know, just like categorically do, you know, participate a lot more uh, within number one, cryptocurrency, number two within, you know, what I would imagine are the, are the cohorts that, you know, are similar to crypto. So, um, the gamers and the to, to NFT space, like the the gaming culture, um, and uh, yeah, I think that was one of like the influencers. Like, wow, this really still is early, despite this being priced at. Um, I think at the time it was it was close to a hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand um, dollars. And that was one of like the reasons that led me into uh, to pulling the trigger and and purchasing it. That I realized it's still early. We're talking about you know three four hundred thousand users on the largest platform. Uh, secondary marketplace for NFTs through OpenSea. And, uh, you know, from all the intel and kind of information I had, like that capital was was not slowing down to, uh, to come in and invest. It's pretty wild too, because I think what this has also done or the NFT purchases has created sort of a community uh, of people uh, who have gotten access to, it could be anything. I mean, you know, I was reading Playboy is doing an NFT where like, if you buy a certain NFT, uh, you can get access to like the Playboy mansion, like two times of the year, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is also creating a uh, demand for access, right. To various events. Like, is, is that, is that a fair assessment to make? 
For sure. I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of the value of NFTs and this community participation uh, that's being driven by them are, you know, being tied into value of, you know, like, like Playboy is a great example um, whereby they're trying to reward their loyal fans, uh, giving them experiences and interactions where, you know, it's more than just, um, you know, monetary based, like people want to actually engage with these brands they're loyal lifelong fans and, and participants. Um, how, how do you put value uh, for someone that's been a lifelong fan of Playboy to come party in person at the mansion? Like they're, um, you know, creating these experiences. And I think a lot more and more we'll see that uh, NFTs will be a gateway into like real world experiences, um, especially when, you know, for, for brands, for celebrities. And that's, you know, it's, it's being done in, in some shapes and forms, but there's not, uh, there's a long way to go in terms of how that's actually like uh, put into code, um, you know, embed into a smart contract and unlocked. And I'm really excited to see the applications on that front. I, if I could ask you what excites you the most, like if you really had to narrow in and really say like, I want to attack a specific niche or set, like what really excites you? Like where, where's your head at with this? Are you talking like digital asset Just class as a whole? In general, like specific in terms of what you're operating, what you're doing, whether it's NFTs or the metaverse, like where, what are you the most excited about? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, the metaverse is something incredibly exciting to me. I think that, um, you know, when, when we first started our, our brand metaverse group back in, uh, I think it was the beginning of 2019. So we were one of the first in the world to actually position ourselves. This was before NFTs had run up. I, I had separated, I, I, you know, I was prevalent to the concept of NFTs and I've spoken about it uh, a few times, even at conferences and events. Um, but I, I kind of differentiated between like the the, the way people currently think of NFTs and then uh, land. Um, so like virtual land and taking like Decentraland as, as a leading, uh, you know, the, one of the leading metaverse worlds, um, we position ourselves, we wanted to kind of like buy, sell, develop, like tra taking traditional concepts from real estate. Um, my thesis was that people would start to increasing, well, well web two is shifting from like into web three, like you're talking going from a 2D internet into a 3D internet. Where instead of interacting, you know, on a flat web page, you'd be interacting in these open world formats. Um, you know, the world is becoming increasingly digitized, and you know, we're seeing that in the workforce everywhere. Um, and yeah, I, I just I, I thought it would happen sooner than it did. Um, the thesis has started to you know come to bear, like uh, Facebook making a major pivot, and, and again, when we talk about these capital inflows and kind of the. Uh, the demographics that are starting to, to buy and sell within the metaverse. Um, so I'm very excited for where that's headed. Like uh, the ability to host office spaces, conferences, um, you know, movies, events, concerts uh, that all take place kind of in this like 3d immersive internet um, or in these open worlds is, you know, what I'm extremely excited about. And through uh, metaverse group, one of the entities we started, um, I believe we're now one of the, you know, at least from what I know publicly, one of the largest holders of metaverse land in the world. Um, we recently completed a transaction to purchase the largest ever uh, plot uh, in Decentraland. Um, you know, it was a multi-million dollar transaction. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really doubling down there uh, to be the world's largest, like, holder and developer of, of metaverse land. Um, and on the side of that, through some other kind of subsidiaries, and applications and building a marketplace that's going to allow us to actually 
mint metaverse wearables. Uh, so all of kind of the uh, things your avatar would wear, like uh, items associated to these events. I think there's a massive market for that. I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, participate in this online conference. You could be sitting anywhere in the world or this concert for your favorite DJ. Uh, get this, you know, special collectible um, that you can represent and, and use as like, uh, you know, it's, it's like a fashion statement um, as well. So, yeah, super excited about everything to come in that world. So we have the, kind of the marketplace, the land side and then the event side. So um, also trying to build kind of like the live nation where we'll be producing these events um, coupled with kind of the in real world uh, activations and bringing those and streaming them into the metaverse. It's, it's been really fascinating because um, I had, I, I talked to advisors, brokers all over the country and they asked me like, what the hell is this Decentraland stuff? And like, I saw the press release and I was like, that's Zach right there. So I kind of just did the whole scoop. I found it really fascinating though. was just like, there was a specific token that you had to use, right? Um, obviously it's taking fiat, it's called mana, right? So you're taking the fiat, you're converting it into mana and then you're using the mana to buy uh, land in Decentraland or in the metaverse, for example. So my question to you is like, everyone's hyped up on this right now. And the number one question that I got this past week is how the hell do, do investors get, like, how do they buy a piece of land here? Like, what's the, what's that process look like? Or what's the simplest way to do that? Awesome. So I, I think like partial to my, like bridging the gap through my brokerage point earlier, um, it, it is still a little bit complex for, for large holders to on-ramp into the space, you know, purchase, let's say for NFTs, purchase Ethereum, move it to MetaMask, um, you know, open it on a platform and purchase the, like the piece of art they might like. They, they might understand the concept of NFTs, but like that on-ramp is still difficult. Um, the same thing goes with Metaverse land to have to purchase um, mana or navigate, you know, in this, in this world is difficult. There are a number of awesome projects that are, you know, looking to facilitate that. And we still have a lot of room to go. Um, but our brokerage is, is like sitting there as kind of a helping hand. Like we've helped clients purchase, um, you know, where, the, where, where they're new to the space, um, help them navigate and purchase their first CryptoPunk or their first, um, you know, big NFT or the same thing, purchase mana, navigate in a secure fashion to kind of like move into the space. Um I mean, there's obviously lots of educational guides online and these communities are assisting their uh, members actively publishing resources in order to get in and, and transact within the space. Um, but yeah, we, we, you know, it's, it's, it's a continued kind of push forward on all fronts from the ecosystem participants. Well, I think there's also like, if you were to buy, I mean, tokens.com is a, is a pubco like that. That's also another way to get exposure into the. Metaverse. Oh yeah, of course. So, so tokens is, is the first company uh, in the world to hold metaverse exposure, metaverse land exposure through a pubco. Uh, it's trading under the NEO and uh, on the NEO and, you know, is, is a, definitely a great um, way to get exposure right now. Yeah. So it, it, it's, again, it's just been fascinating to see sort of the growth. It's almost gone astronomical at this point, um, you know, and one of the other things that I think most people are just curious about is, you know, when things do get somewhat back to normal, like what is, what is that? What does the banking world look like? Cause clearly it seems like every time Jamie Dimon comes out and says, well, Bitcoin is worth F all. And then the next week it rallies, you know, hits an all time high. And then you've got career politicians basically bashing it, saying the same thing. 
to me and to Nick, and I think to you too, I think that's a bullish signal every time, right? So what, what's it, what's it going to take for, for this to go full mainstream uh, and people to realize, okay, like this is a great time to be looking at early investment in this space. So, question, you know, my uh, bad. yeah, no, no, it's okay. Um, listen, I, I think there's a number of factors like, like NFTs is a great, uh, like real world example of how a new sector has brought in, um, you know, the, like a, like a massive new cohort into the space applications that we haven't thought of are, are still to come. Um, the ones that exist, you know, are continuing to, to really bring in, uh, large cohorts, but, I feel like most people that operate and, and work within the, you know, the digital asset ecosystem, they don't really leave when you find out unless, you know, out of necessity, when you see how easy it is to, to work with DeFi applications, um, to, to transact, to move money. Um, it's, it's just like going back to legacy infrastructure is, is almost painful. It's the hardest part of, of running my business. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of domino effects that you look at, you have what, you know, two out of um, the Fortune 500 companies hold any crypto, in this case, Bitcoin on their balance sheet that we know about. There's about five to 10 on the, you know, global 2000. Um, their like benchmark is, is typically their peers. Um, so, you know, you look at like outside of Web3 for a second, like traditional cohorts, family offices, pension funds, endowment funds. These groups are, um, you know, they're, they're all starting to like dive dive in and, and open the intellectual kind of conversation. A lot of the money managers and CIOs hold it themselves, but not in their structure. So like you have the regulatory wave and the infrastructure players that are going to make it easy for capital to come in, uh, which is, you know, what we're trying to do and, and build on the traditional front uh, to bridge that TradFi gap. And then, you know, you also have the continued development of these applications to bring in, um, you know, these, like this, these new, like arts, culture, creative demographics as well. And, uh, yeah. Nice. I think it's, uh, again, like you said, it is very early stage. Um, hard to believe just given all the, the money that's been thrown around and kind of just tossed out and particularly with the NFTs, but, um, you know, this is it's a great conversation. I mean, Nick, I don't know if there's anything you want to ask for Zach, like Zach moving forward, but I think- well, there's there's one thing I wanted to ask was because I know I know for example in the music industry, they there's there's a lot of conversation going around on how artists can kind of <laughs> gain power over their own artistry by using the ecosystem of NFT. And are you able to explain the process by which they can that 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 could be made possible? So, so there's a number of ways, you know, you're democratizing ownership, you're, you're really taking out the traditional players that have typically held control by allowing the artist and creator to go uh, direct to market and, and directly to their fans, interact with them, like, you know, get, get a finger on the pulse of like, what do their fans actually want from them? How can they, um, you know, like increase the experience, um, actually like track and maintain ownership through secondary sales that's embedded in smart contracts. There's, you know, there's, there's tons of ways. It's, it's like removing channel players that have historically been so, 
um, you know, very greedy, uh, like the record labels mm, and, exactly. and being able to like so give basic, them the tooling. Yeah. Okay. So basically, be, like just to understand it for it. So like as an artist, you were basically creating an NFT digital version of your music. Is it, can you do that? And then you can basically um, you can, sell out your NFTs as like copies and copies, and you could sell it out directly through the NFT, basically contracting it out, saying you purchased a piece of my artist or my music or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, so there's people turning songs into NFTs, like uh, where, where people can have ownership in that song. And as mm. like you own rights to like, it gets distributed, it gets streamed. You actually get a piece of the compensation associated with that when it's used in different platforms and, you know, blockchain makes it a lot easier to, mm. to track and manage that process. Um, there are, you know, albums being released as NFTs. Uh, one of the cooler transactions I participated in my life was actually the uh, Wu-Tang Clan album um, mm. that was sold as an NFT. So uh, Wu-Tang Clan had, had kind of released a, uh, a last album that was purchased a couple years ago. <laughs> in a private auction by, by Martin Shkreli, um, the pharmaceutical <laughs> bad boy. And uh, he was indicted on securities fraud. He, he originally purchased the, like the, the physical album, which you know mimicked the concept of an NFT. This was a one of one. This was uh, only able to be listened to um, by you know, the, the purchaser himself. There were strict rules around its use and, and distribution. Um, but when he was indicted on securities fraud, the Department of Justice sees that uh, you know, seize that album from him. Fast forward a couple of years, uh, there was an opportunity to kind of um, like purchase that uh, and, you know, get it into a, a new buyer's hands from the DOJ. They kind of opened up the floor and um, through some relationships, uh, some private relationships, we're able to essentially provide like a, a brokerage service whereby we were able to purchase the NFT um, we actually sold it to a DAO, which is, you know, something else interesting that I encourage listeners to dive into. Um, and that they wanted to make that purchase in cryptocurrencies. So there's a few mechanisms of play that kind of round off what, what we were just speaking about, right? There was um, that ability for someone like my brokerage to facilitate the transaction uh, where we helped take cryptocurrency, convert it in a safe and secure way and really um, go outward and, and pay the DOJ uh, cash to, you know, essentially purchase the album. Uh, we converted it into an NFT and then we sold that, which is now, um, you know, putting that digital ownership uh, onto the blockchain and allowing the buyer to, to hold it. Um, so, yeah, it was like a really really cool thing to be part of. I'm also a big fan of Wu-Tang Clan. So mm -hmm. I was fortunate to kind of get involved at the table there. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's an increasing amount of case studies like that that are, are really showing the applications. No, it's, it's honestly it's so fascinating. And I know there's the real estate component of things that you're getting involved in that. Cause again, it all ties back to the smart contract component. So it, mm -hmm. it's, it's extremely fascinating to see, especially me. I see, I watch things from a behavioral standpoint and a market sentiments. And like, I, I compared this eco this whole ecosystem back to your saying where a lot of them might collapse, where the case would be is I look at it as like a, a child and children go through a lot of mistakes in order to grow up and learn how to deal with, with whatever they need to pursue. So the space as a whole, I see it as like a child still needing to figure itself out, needing to make mistakes, needing to understand what to pursue, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. And also it, honestly, it from, and it's brand new in human history. So it's extremely fascinating to observe all these things going on.
Yeah, it's uh, it's brand new problems that we're solving every day. It's, it really is in its infancy, which is why it's exciting. You know, we're mm-hmm. faced with new challenges, new applications, um, and you know, there's there's a really like the, like the digital asset space is so incredible to work in because it's so collaborative. Everyone shares a joint mission, right? We're we're all trying to build the applications and protocols and infrastructure to allow this you know infrastructure to become more mainstream. Um, and, and, you know, take over the world. And I, I find that, you know, even like coming from like NFT marketplace to NFT marketplace or digital asset brokerage to digital asset brokerage, all of our peers we work with in some capacity, it's, it's very little, um, you know, it's almost, it's, it's not combative at all. Uh, it's just, it's very collaborative and we're all here with that, you know, um, joint mission. That's so Much, fascinating. Yeah. That's so like, that's, again, that's one of the things that I like about this space is, you know, when you mm. talk about other industries, everyone's trying to go after one another, right? There is a form of community here. It's almost like, you know, all those discord groups meeting up at like, I don't know, Art Basel for like a week um, coming together and they're already like, oh, you're that guy that was doing, you know, so-and-so bought Decentraland and stuff like that. So it's also cool to be, because we were so isolated too, right? So everyone mm. was like isolated for a full year. And then you're, you're, you're collaborating on these, on these social platforms and to finally like meet up in person or like be in a physical. Oh, NFT NYC was a a massive, you know, conflux of, of, especially from the NFT world. It was was really incredible to see. Yeah. Yeah. There was like, yeah. So um, the events around NFT NYC were, were really incredible. I think like the, the size and scope and like there's, there's people that have been interacting online for years in these communities. Um, there's, there's so many like like-minded individuals that fall into these communities. It's kind of like, a, it's pretty astounding sometimes, but I guess that uh, what I've always found is that, you know, time and time again, that the crypto natives, the early adopters, they have, you know, an, an inherent similar way of thinking. So there's a lot of like alignment and in, in that association. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was, very friendly it was big it was loud like you had djs interacting like whereby like you know i have i've I've met djs before in in all different environments but the way they typically like interact with fans in like a public open format is so different than the way it was at nft nyc like you have like you know like steve aoki and marshmallow and chain smokers like talking just like dapping up everyone they see and like, you know, being super social with, with all of like these NFT holders, community members. I, it was like a sight to behold. Um, I'm currently in Miami for our Basel where we're putting on our NFT Basel conference, which is actually something we didn't get into, but, but NFT Basel is, is like our um, brand around like the luxury art market, which is, um, you know, more served to like physical art tied to NFT. So we spoke a lot about the, the collectibles and, um, you know, the community-based collections, these are like real IP uh, designated through an NFT, which is just, uh, you know, reducing the, um, you know, uh, ability for it to get counterfeited. It's putting the association with blockchain. There's, there's a lot of improvements. We're working with leading technology providers from Samsung to NFT chip technologies, et cetera, to like, uh, you know, really change the way that market looks like a super cool application. Uh, we're working with a world leading luxury watchmaker um, to essentially chip all of their watches going into uh, probably like Q2 2022 is, is when it looks like it'll be at market. Um, so instead of having a Rolex, the company's not Rolex, instead of having like your watch come with a um, box with a paper in it, 
there's going to be a chip actually embedded into the watch that, you know, as um, the technology allows you to scan it immediately can showcase that NFT. Um, you can see, you know, it's, it's serial number. You have, it's like all of its information. You can use that NFT to transact, sell, collateralize, uh, borrow against. Um, and that is something that's like, you know, what's really cool is, is this watchmaker we're working with, which is, I would say like a top five, top seven watchmaker in the world uh, by notoriety. They're looking at actually integrating the chip into the aesthetic of their new watches. So uh, like think of like a skeleton type watch where it's see-through, they actually have like mock-ups where the chip is, is visible and people think that might, you know, detract, but they're like head on. They're like, no, we think this is awesome. This is futuristic. Like they're incorporating it into the build. So uh, super, yeah, super exciting stuff progressing on that front as well. That's crazy. There's, yeah, there's, there's a lot happening, uh, particularly in that space, which is so fascinating too. And like the, the other thing for me that kind of signaled like, Hey, this stuff is slowly getting mainstream was crypto.com saying that we're going to rename Staples center. And staple center has been that no no, mm -hmm. no pun, pun intended it was been a staple in, in, in la for so long now it's like crypto.com and then you have miami i think it's called the ftx arena right so yeah. it's just it just goes to show you like how far this space has come right now that like the the amount of opportunity collaboration and the amount of potential that's still left is 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 almost infinite so so more, more exciting even than I think, uh, number one, like the, the FTX and crypto.com guys are doing an amazing job of bringing mainstream awareness through these like global partnerships. And um, they're investing a lot of money. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm super happy. I know members of both the teams and like, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible to see what they've done. Um, but what's really cool is, uh, I, you know, it happens to actually be two clients of ours, um, StormX and Digital Bits are also kind of doing world first sports partnerships. These are actual you know, protocols and, and digital assets that are partnering with mainstream brands. So StormX is now the Jersey sponsor of the Portland Trailblazers, um, which is the first kind of, you know, NBA digital asset partnership um, for like a Jersey, uh, Jersey partnership and, you know, whole stadiums partnership. And then Digital Bits is, is a company we've been working with for a number of years. Uh, they're looking at being like the branded token for uh, the, the token for brands and they're partnered with Inter Milan and uh, AS Roma, two of the um, you know, Italy's largest soccer teams or largest soccer teams in the world yeah. um, to basically where, where they're replacing these legacy institutions. I think Qatar Airways now instead of Qatar Airways now says digital bits on the AS Roma jersey. Um, and you talk about mainstream awareness, you have these games that are viewed by 20, 30 million people. Uh, you have like a, you know, Jersey stores of every corner in Rome, which is one of the highest traffic tourism areas in the world. Um, you're talking about like eight to 10 million people foot traffic that uh, see this, like this AS Roma logo all over the, sorry, the digital bits logo all over these AS Roma jerseys around the city. Um, there's some really cool trailblazers. I'm fortunate to actually work with a lot of them that are, are you know, helping bring more of this mainstream attention and awareness. Very interesting, man. I mean, yeah. there's, again, there's so much potential in this space. And I think you'd actually be, as an investor, I think you'd actually be foolish not to even have like 5%, just even if it's just Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, right? Just, just, just stored away in, in, into an account somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, yeah, it, I, I think like, point. yeah, I've, I've like <laughs> steered away a lot from, from giving financial advice typically, uh, <laughs> typically have to, but, you know, hopefully, um, 
piqued some like curious minds here. Like there's a lot of development left to have. I mean, the long tail narrative for me is digital currency is, is here to win. Uh, no doubt. Uh, that can take different shapes and forms like, mm -hmm. you know, the NFT space now that people are coming in and being exposed to uh, layer ones like Ethereum and Solana has changed a bit of like the bull case for Bitcoin, where typically you'd need to enter the market through Bitcoin and, you know, the, the increasing development on, on some other exciting layer ones um, that are, are still bringing new applications to market. And, you know, we are, yeah, my like personal beliefs are, are, I'm still, you know, a Bitcoin maximalist at heart, but, you know, there's these new narratives at play that are uh, very prevalent and, and exciting. Um, and you know, everything for like, whether even it's central bank digital currencies that, that start to bring mass adoption or large centralized players, uh, like the Facebooks of the world that launch their currencies, um, you know, it only really requires a couple of these to make uh, you know, to, to plant their flag in the sand, to bring adoption to hundreds of millions of people. Um, you know, Reddit's exploring applications. Twitter continues to explore applications. And once people, again, are, are in that ecosystem, the dynamic is that it's, you know, it, I wouldn't say it's the, like the most fluid right now, but it's so much easier to interact and, and work within that ecosystem um, that going back to TradFi infrastructure is just like, you know, the, the churn is, is very low. Like people typically come, they stay, and that's going to continue to happen at, you know, increasingly fast rates as, um, you know, there's more points for adoption. And, uh, and yeah, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a great ecosystem. And if it's not investing today, like if you don't start to learn about it, uh, all, you know, all the terms we're going into, all the different sectors, um, you're just going to be left behind and you're going to miss out on, um, you know, this massive wealth transfer and, and opportunity. Okay. I totally agree with that. And I think that's the, been sort of the message that everybody here on this podcast who listens is mm -hmm. just basically saying, have some crypto exposure. Again, it's not financial advice. Like they already do your own due diligence, but um, it, it, it's true and it's inevitable at this point. So um, Zach, I know that time is of the essence. We've had a little technical difficulty here and there, but uh, we really- Yeah, my uh, my switch inside, I'm just a Canadian boy trying to get some sun, but my <laughs> Apple technology can't, uh, was overheating. <laughs> We're going to have to call the Apple warranty department to get that fixed, but it's okay. Where, where can the uh, where can the listeners find you on uh, on your socials? Um, my Instagram is Zach, Z-A-C-H-D Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Uh, and on Twitter, it's Z Crypto Kid. Um, website is uh, GDA.Capital. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out through there as well. And the Metaverse Group. Can't forget about that. Hmm. Of course. Yeah, we have. Um, so if you actually navigate to GDA Group, you can kind of see all of our, our brand subsidiaries. We have seven. Um, you know, we have, we have three in the Web3 ecosystem that were, you know, either partnered or invested into, and then uh, several brands in, in the TradFi world, our brokerage, uh, our advisory and ventures arm, and our, our lending desk as well. Cool. So awesome, man. Well, listen, again, thanks for coming on. Enjoy your time in Miami. I'll actually be down there on Wednesday, but uh, good luck with you guys. Let me know. <laughs> we'll we're, uh, we're, we're hosting an event. I'll, I'll text you offline. Perfect. Awesome. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Ciao, guys. All right. Take care, everyone. Have a good day. Cheers.